As we reflect upon these words that our Lord has spoken to us about the kingdom of heaven, they are something that paints a picture for us that shows us that the kingdom of heaven, which is distinguished from heaven itself, right? Um, But the kingdom of heaven, the church here on earth, is not a static entity. It's not a thing that's kind of built in stone or or set in, in unchanging, but rather it is a living thing. It is a growing thing. That's all the parables that our Lord speaks about here are about growing things, things that are growing and evolving and changing. There's also the reality that the other, the other references to the kingdom of heaven, uh, the church uh, throughout the scriptures, are things such as that of a bride, that of a body, or at least there is one part where we are referred to as stones, but St. Saint, Saint Paul refers to us as living stones, not dead ones living stones built upon the foundation of the apostles. And so Mother Church is a living kingdom. And as such, there are these aspects that our Lord wants to highlight to help us to remember in the midst of this kingdom in which we dwell. And so the three, the three parables show to us some particular aspect of that living nature of the kingdom. The first, the seeds and the wheat, that things are not always perfect or pure, that indeed there are, uh, there are weeds in the midst of the church, the field of the church, and not only the pure and perfect grains. The mustard seed reminds us that, that the church has become something that is much larger than what it began, and so as to become a place for all to find refuge and peace, and ultimately, salvation. And the last of the parables there, that of the yeast and the wheat, the power of the church is transformative, the kingdom able to convert our hearts if we are willing to let it. Whenever we come and face the reality of the church, these three pieces and parts, we might say, these these three um, descriptions are are, part of the church that we still exist in today. And some of that can cause discouragement or frustration or confusion within many hearts. Is the fact that some will use all of these things and then end, end up in the end uh, essentially trying to separate themselves from Christ in some particular manner. And it's a great sadness there. There are some Christians who would demand that a church be without sin and without, sex, without scandals. Certainly there is no shortage of scandals that have happened in the church in the last 75 years or so, be they, be they the sexual scandals or abuse or financial or ecclesiastical or anything otherwise. Certainly a number of things that have happened in the life of the church that have separated people from Christ. They've used it as an opportunity to say, well, I'm not going to go to that church because, you know, that, that priest or that, that bishop or that community, it's just, you know, just a bunch of hypocrites. And so one is then excused by one's own self from having to attend because of the hypocrites that are present there, to excuse oneself from joining in such a crowd. The reality is, this is how the crowd is supposed to be. Not that we are supposed to be hypocrites, any of us. Not that any of us are supposed to sin. Not that any of us are supposed to cause scandal. But the reality is that that is part of the church herself these days, and from the beginning, is that we are not perfect in every single member. If a person were to go forth and to find a perfect church, they would have found essentially a unicorn that exists only in fantasy. 
There is no perfect church in the sense that all of its members have everything together and all is well all the time. There will, be, there will be scandals. There will be shocking things. There will be things that are offensive, things that are confusing and uncertainty. This is, again, part of the reality of dealing with an institution that is simultaneously divine by God's given, by God's, you know, consecration of it, but also human, that she's composed of us, a bunch of sinners. But to be encouraged in this is to recognize that the scandals and the sins of the church that happen within the church and around her, they do not mean, they, do not, they are not um, un, kind of unanticipated by our blessed Lord. He knew them. He knows them. And he knows that there will be more. But he calls us to come and to remain in Mother Church. This is the, what he set up with the example of the person of Judas. When he went and called the twelve to himself, he called them by name. And when he called Judas, he knew already that Judas was going to betray him, and he called him anyway. He knew that Judas was not believing in the things that he was teaching entirely, that there was much doubt in his heart, and he let him stay. He knew that Judas had already gone to make the deal and was going simply to betray the Lord that very night at the Last Supper, and yet still he had him sit next to him at the Last Supper to be able to dip his hand into the dish with him, so close was he, to share one final meal, the Last Supper, with him. Our Lord allowed all of these things. We do not always understand why, but he allows it. And this is the simple reality that we must accept and embrace. We don't have to rejoice in it. We don't have to enjoy it. We don't have to like it. But it's for us to remain in Mother Church as it may happen and pray, offer reparation, to remain faithful to Christ in the place of those who have not remained faithful to Christ, to be the other 11 who stayed with our blessed Lord rather than despairing. This is our invitation to come and trust in the Lord, to allow him to continue to be patient with us in this time, in this church, as he was 2,000 years ago with his disciples and to pray that we can be patient with him. The second point is that there are others in the life of the church that think the church only applies or is open to a certain few, that, that there are some individuals who presume that, that Mother Church is only allowing, you know, will only allow certain, certain people to enter, that some don't have a place. And the mustard seed parable tells us this, this is not true. The seed that begins as a small thing becomes a large tree to welcome all the birds of the skies. And the seed that began some 2,000 years ago with our blessed Lord in himself, the first seed, and then giving, giving himself, giving the church life in the form of the apostles and Our Lady and the disciples who gathered around, is that it continued to grow after generation after generation after generation into the billions of people that it encompasses now just in the living, not only those who have already won the race and are triumphant, this large crowd that has come, and it is indeed a place that is Catholic, meaning universal. The church is for every person, every single one of them. There has not been, is not, nor there can there ever be a person who does not have a place by Christ's desire in the church and ultimately in heavenly joy. 
Christ desires that all men be saved, scriptures remind us. And thus they are saved in and through the instrument of salvation, the church given to us by Christ. This is the fact of things. And there is sometimes, unfortunately, a temptation to presume people out of the church, to say that they are not worthy. Oftentimes these are the, the, the people who are much more public in uh, view, those who are in the church or those who are in the political realm particularly, but also others that we might name among them. These individuals who will sometimes push, you know, ideologies that are contrary to the faith and will be ready to be as the men in the gospel and just say, Lord, there are weeds in the midst of these things. Would you like us to go and pluck them up, to pull them out, to remove them from the church, to say they have no place, they're just ruining things? Would you like us to remove them? And our Lord says patiently, no, let them grow. The reality is that there's, there are times in our church where individuals have been plucked up or could have been plucked up that otherwise would be saints and in fact are today. We all know well the story of Saul, the man who was persecuting the Christians, who was putting men, women, and children to death, who consented to the death of Stephen. It would be easy for him to have been plucked up and cast aside. For the early church, hearing that news of, of this man coming and, and acting like he's one of the Christians now, saying he's been converted to say, no, we know what you've done, and to keep him at arm length. But instead, they welcomed him into the field, allowed him to continue to grow there, and to prove that he was, in fact, very, very fruitful grain the greatest of the, of the apostles as far as going forth and spreading the gospel in missions and in letters. If he had been plucked up, how sad would it have been? And so as for us to ensure that, that we allow no one to be plucked up prematurely, in the end, the Lord God will divide them by himself. His angels will separate the wheat from the, the, wheat from the chaff in the end, the wheat from the weeds, and be able to, to, make, you know, to make us to our ultimate end, whether to fire or to food for the kingdom. And that is his choice. That is his in the end. It's not ours to do so prematurely. And the third point is the reason for the hope in the both of these things is that because the church is transformative, a bit of yeast mixed into the wheat and, and rolled together changes it, it leavens it, it elevates it. And so much the church does with individual souls. If we are willing to immerse ourselves in the life of the church, which is simply the life of grace, the life of the sacraments, the life of prayer, the life of a community reliant upon one another, seeking the good Lord above all things and seeking to love neighbor as self, if we do these things, our life changes. It is necessarily transformative. And so this is our hope for others who come into the church as well, those that we might deem to be weeds from the first, those that we might think have no place in the church at the present time, but indeed to receive them and to allow Christ to transform them. It is not our work to transform anybody. None of us can convert a single soul, but we can live the Christian faith and allow Christ to use us to bring conversion about in others and transformation of heart about in others. And so we must, to give ourselves to Christ, to allow his life and his grace to increase within us. And so this is our invitation, to rejoice in the gift of the church, 
that living vine that continues to bear fruits in this world, to bear fruit for the church. We rejoice in the gift of this field that although there are seeds that are, that are bearing much fruit, we recognize also the weeds, and yet the Lord is patient with each and with all to know that indeed the Lord is desiring to save all in some miraculous manner to turn weeds into wheat. In the end, it's for us always to do that thing which is most imperative for each of us individually, which is to stay close to the Lord and to abide in Him and to allow Him to transform us. Rather than to think that there are others out there that need to be transformed and that we're doing pretty well ourselves, which in fact may be the case, it is never for us to presume upon such a thing, but always to presume that we've got more work to do and to get to it quick, fast, and in a hurry. We can take for our example again the 11 apostles who are gathered around with Judas at the Lord of the Last Supper. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, Judas knew it was him, but the other 11 were all unsure. They weren't sure that they would not betray the Lord because, in fact, each of them went in turn and it says each of them asked the Lord, Lord, is it I? Am I going to be the one to betray you? This is, in fact, the disposition the Lord would have for us in this respect. Not that we should doubt our faith, not that we should have these, you know, kind of a, a concern about our own strength or any of this kind of thing or to cause us anxiety, but simply for us to acknowledge the fact that, that without the grace of Christ, every one of us could be easily a Judas. And so it is for us to pursue the grace of Christ, to pursue Him, to stay close to Him, to abide in Him as He tells us, to live in the sacraments, to live the life of prayer, to live the gift of faith that we have received, to allow it to bear much fruit within our souls for the salvation of others, the salvation of our own soul, and for the glory of God the Father.